First Corinthians chapter three. So I started off last week uh, when we we spoke about being people of the Spirit, and we looked at First Corinthians chapter two and how God calls us to be people who are led by and directed by the Holy Spirit. He's called us to be spiritual people. He's called us to be uh, people who uh, bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in, in, in a sense, God has made all Christians spiritual by means of giving us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And, and, and he's created us to be spiritual beings and, and those who are in communion with him. And every person who becomes a Christian gets the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Yet, what's, what's so crazy and so wild is that, that it's possible for somebody who comes into a genuine relationship with God, believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, experiences forgiveness of sins, and, and experiences the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's possible for that person to live contrary to to God's ways and God's wisdom. And that's what the Apostle Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last week. He contrasted the wisdom of this world that he, that Paul himself was not depending upon and not operating from. He contrasted it with the wisdom of God. And we looked at how the wisdom of God operates with a collaboration, with a team mindset, with a we instead of a me mindset. We looked at how it, the outcome is unity of operating in the wisdom of God and the outcome is, is strife and division in operating in worldly wisdom. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue of disunity within the church and a number of other issues that have to do with church health, okay? So we've titled this series, Church Health Matters. God is concerned about the spiritual health of his people. He cares about how we're doing relationally, mentally, spiritually, even our physical health. He cares about those things. And when we're walking in step with the spirit of God, he leads us into health and he leads us into maturity and becoming like Jesus. And so we've titled this message, A Perspective That Unifies. A Perspective That Unifies. Paul was addressing disunity within the church. And he was giving the church in Corinth a perspective that they needed to operate according to if they were going to have unity within this diverse church. Okay? So let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Brothers... But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. It is it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's pray real quick and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, as we have opened your word this morning, as we see truth in it, would you give us your perspective? Would you speak right to where we are and help us to see where we are and to see clearly where it is that you want to take each of us? Make clear the next step for each one of us and give us grace to proceed in following you, to face our fears, to deny ourselves, and to take up our cross and follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's our big idea this morning. God calls his people to grow in spiritual maturity, unity, and humility by getting his perspective on life and ministry. God calls his people to grow in spiritual maturity and unity and humility by getting his perspective on life and ministry. I remember as a boy... I when when I realized that I needed glasses and I made it to maybe around 10, 11 and I was in sports and I was very active and uh, and and I, I probably missed a few few balls playing baseball because I couldn't see I didn't have 20/20 vision but at, at some point we discovered that I needed my my uh, vision corrected I needed some corrective lenses 
And of course, any of you who've had that experience know that that is a game changer. It goes from seeing fuzzy faces in a distance to seeing clarity and beauty and colors. And it's just amazing. And you're able to hit home runs. Uh, you're able to play better, uh, sports better. Um, and for the Corinthians, they had some fuzzy vision. Paul ended chapter, chapter two in saying, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And I think he was referring even to the Corinthians, but they didn't seem to be operating according to the mind of Christ. Paul said that we have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. He says that in chapter 2. He says that in chapter 3. And yet the Corinthians weren't acting like they were a spiritual people. Right? And so, so what God calls us to is he calls us to be led by his spirit, to grow in spiritual maturity, to, to unite together with his people, to walk humbly with him and with the people of God. And we do this through renewing our mind with God's perspective. You see, the world teaches us a way to operate. The world gives us a reference point. And shapes us and molds us into how we are to think and how we are to live and how we are to connect and, and, and relate to others. But Christianity also gives us a wisdom, a wisdom that's from God, a way to operate, a mode of operation that comes from divine revelation from God. He gives us a perspective, his perspective, and he helps us, leads us into walking in the spirit. And so, first of all, let's look at the problem. The problem of spiritual immaturity needed to be addressed. There were quarrels, there were fights, there was tension, there was immorality, there was messiness within the church. And I, I believe that every church has uh, some element of this. If you if you ever go to a perfect, if you ever find a perfect church, if there's one that exists out there, and you go to it, it would no longer be perfect, right? Because none of us are, right? It just, it doesn't exist out there, right? And so there's this, there's, we all have our brokenness and our struggles and we all have our inconsistencies where we don't live according to who God says we are. And throughout this letter, the apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthians of who they are and how they are to live based on what Christ has done and who Christ has made them. As we said last week, I mentioned last week, Paul says, you've been bought at a price, therefore glorify God with your body and your spirit. Don't dishonor him through immorality, but honor him through, immor- with, through, through integrity, sexual integrity. And, and, and Paul says, you know, you're the people of God. You're, you have the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, uh, agree with one another. Walk together in, in unity in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so he starts off here in chapter 3 saying, brothers, and, and, he, and he calls them brothers. Brothers and sisters, okay? He's referring to brothers in Christ. He calls them, at the end of chapter 1, infants in Christ. He, he considered them to be in Christ, he considered the church to be Christians who has have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But he says, I could not address you as people of the Spirit or spiritual people. I couldn't address you in that way. 
But as people of the flesh, you're operating according to the flesh. Now, I know this is this is a heavy word and I'm I don't want to come down heavy and I don't want I want to like like do my eyebrows at anybody and look mean at you while I'm saying this because this is a very corrective uh heavy word that Paul is bringing to the church. So let me just say if the shoe fits, then you can put it on. But but I'm not I'm not pointing any fingers here this morning. But I am highlighting the fact that God calls all his people to grow up, to grow up, to be who he's called you to be, right? So we have four kids, and, and I can, uh, Ernesto is joking about being being uh, alone uh, with the kids, and that would be, be a challenge. I got to experience that this weekend, and I was wrangling to, to bring them to church here today. And, and God teaches me a lot about maturity and immaturity. And a number of other spiritual truths through my relationship with my children. All right. And it's not just immaturity that I see coming out of them. Sometimes I see it coming out of me, unfortunately. But as I was thinking about this text this week, I, there was an experience we had around the breakfast table and I was watching my kids and, and, uh, one of my kids was discontent and was just kind of had an attitude and they wanted to, I'm going to I'm avoid names here and it's nice that all the kids are over there now because I can start using more of these illustrations without my children present um, but but she, they the child <laughs> so you got 50 50 chance in guessing who now we have four two girls two boys uh, and 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 so my child all of a sudden like pulled the whole table to themselves Instead, they, they could have easily just scooted up the chair where everyone else was eating. But but my child was kind of had a little attitude and was like, you know, I want the table over here. You guys all center around me right now because it's about me. Right. And And we get little glimpses of human nature. If you don't believe in the depravity of man, just have some children. And, and you will see that all people are born into sin and need a savior and need Jesus to do a work on the, on the inside out. And we don't have to teach them to be like that. We have to teach them to do what's right, right? And to think in the right way and to think in a biblical way. So immature people tend to, to make it all about themselves. And now when, when a child is two or three, one, two or three, like that's acceptable and tolerable. Like you, you roll with it. Like you just, you have to remind yourself, this is a two year old that I'm working with right here, right? That I'm negotiating with here to get their clothes on or to brush their teeth or whatever. You just have to remember that and give grace for where they're at. But, but when you have a, a 17 year old, right? And, and, and they're not brushing their teeth and they're not doing those basic responsibilities that they need to do. That's unacceptable, right? And so Paul was saying, you know, at this time, you know, I couldn't address you, you guys as spiritual people. I had to address you as infants in Christ. And, and he highlights their, their conduct, their behavior that wasn't lining up with their, with their beliefs in the gospel, right? Now, our beliefs always really should and do affect the way we behave. What you believe affects the way you behave. And so Paul spelt a good, spent a good deal of time addressing what the church believes in. Doctrine affects our duty. Belief affects our behavior. Outlook affects our operation. Perspective affects our 
practice. And so Paul, in his letters, a number of times in his letters, he addresses the thinking that's wrong behind the actions that are wrong. Not just the behavior, all right? It's not enough to just tell our kids to stop, you know, stop stop hitting your sister or brother, right? We got to get down to the why. why. Why you don't hit your brother or sister, right? Because you're going to get a spanking. No, no. Uh, Because you are to love them and they are gifts of God made in the image of God and God, God loves, loves, right? And so we want to, we want to get down to the why as we train our kids. And the apostle Paul considered the Christians his spiritual kids in a sense. In chapter four, he said, I had, I was, became your father through, through the gospel. He led them to Christ in a sense. And ultimately God is their father. But, but, um, but Paul addresses their, their behavior and their behavior manifested with jealousy, strife, and disunity. Verse 3, he says, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy, strife, and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? Now we talked about the contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. So the natural man who operates according to worldly wisdom, they only consider natural means. The God's not in the equation. The spiritual life, the supernatural life is not in the equation. It's all what can you see, feel, touch, taste, and see. Right? Five senses. Taste, touch, feel, and see. And yet for the Christian, we've become spiritual people. We believe in an invisible God. That we can't see with our physical eyes right now. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Son of God who took on flesh and he walked among us in in the world 2,000 years ago. And so the spiritual people, Christians, are called to believe what the scripture teaches and believe what the, the spirit bears witness. So first of all, let's look at this idea of Paul addressing them as non-spiritual people. One theologian says, how then can Paul withhold the term spiritual from Christians in Corinth? Because they've received the Holy Spirit. In part, he is withholding the word in their sense of the term. That is as if it's applied to a more advanced spiritual elite But more fundamentally, he is pointing out that their competitive, self-seeking jealousy and strife undermine and contradict evidence of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying activity in their lives and their identity as people of the cross. Since they are self-contradictory, Paul can only describe them in self-contradictory language as if they did not possess the spirit at all. You see, there's irony here. There's irony here. These, Paul says, you have the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? We've received the spirit from God. Every Christian. Ephesians 1.13. And Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 8 that if you don't have the spirit, you're, you're not a, a Christian, right? And so part of what it means to be a Christian is to have the spirit living inside of us. Yet it's baffling. It's, we're amazed by what those who do have the Holy Spirit living inside of them can actually do. We're amazed when we see things like, like on the Grammys last, last Sunday, like that just rattled thousands and millions, traumatized so many that watched 
an, an assault on live television. And we're like, did, did we just see that? Did I just see that? Right? And, and, and we start to question, is this a person of faith? Or is he not? And I'm not, I'm not here to, to judge or evaluate whether Will Smith is a Christian or not. But actions like that and actions like the Corinthians were walking in are contradictory to those who are Christians. Right? And yet we all have our inconsistencies. We all have our challenges. We all, if we're honest, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we may just need to ask somebody real close to us, like our spouse or our children, and they will let us know what they see from their perspective. Warren Wearsby says that a, that a mature Christian uses his gifts as tools to build with, while an immature Christian uses gifts as toys to play with or trophies to boast about. This is something the Corinthians were doing. It's childish. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's me-centered versus... Uh, we centered or how can how can i help those around um, thomas rayner describing the trajectory of christians he says that the christian life is complex paul does not believe that someone can live all his life or her life as what is popularly called a carnal christian at the same time the lives of believers have times of progress and times of regress Therefore, we must live according to the Spirit. There are ebbs and flows in our spiritual journey, right? But nevertheless, our trajectory as Christians is to continually move forward into Christ's likeness. Now, it's painful for us that the process can feel so slow at times. And we have moments like Peter had when he denied Jesus. And he's like, man, I'll go to the cross for you. And he's denying Jesus. And he's surprised by his own sinfulness. We're, we're surprised when we see our own sinfulness at its depth. And we're surprised when we see the sinfulness of others at its depth. But God is not surprised. And he's made provision not only to bring forgiveness to that sinfulness, but to bring freedom. Not only to bring cleansing, but to bring change through the gospel. And so Paul addressed this problem of immaturity, of, di- of division, of jealousy and strife. This, this problem of boasting in men. Boasting in men. We talked a few weeks ago about boasting only in the Lord from chapter 1. And, and God has wired us to, to boast in a sense. But all our boasting should be in God and not in men and not in ourselves, not in how smart and wise we are, strong we are, or what we have or what we've done, or like I confessed last week, deals that we find. I love finding a good deal and be like, man, look at this. But ultimately, I need to be thinking, God, you've graciously provided this, right? You've opened this door, right? And so what, what anything good that we experience in this life, whether it's a gift that we have or a talent or something that we possess, possessions or an experience that we have should be seen as a gift from God, from God's grace. Okay? And so Paul gives us that perspective here in these next couple of verses. So what the Corinthians needed was a renewed perspective 
The perspective of Christ is needed for change. Okay? The perspective of Christ is needed for change. So look what Paul says. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, now some of you guys have seen this here. Before we go on, what do you see? From your perspective, what do you see up here on the screen? Kevin sees an old lady. Anybody else see something different? Young mother. You see a young mother. All right. So depending on how you look at this image up here, you may see an old lady. But if you look at the, the, the nostril of the old lady, uh, you'll see the, the, the jaw of a young lady looking away. Right? And so perspective. It's, it's interesting how, how two people can be looking at something and have a totally different perspective and a totally different outlook on life. And what, what we have as Christians is we have the Holy Spirit who gives us God's thoughts, God's perspectives. We have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity to know what God is thinking, what God wants, what God's will is for our life, and live according to that perspective. Okay? God gives us a new set of lenses to wear. And so the Apostle Paul in the scripture in this letter is trying to help the Corinthians get a new perspective. They were boasting in in those leaders that they most identified with. Now, I don't think it's wrong to have your favorite, a favorite preacher or teacher, Bible teacher or seminary professor um, or podcast. I don't think it's wrong to to have those. But but when, like the Christian church, when we elevate that pastor, that preacher, that podcast, that seminary professor, and we, we kind of can boast in them and compare them to others as if others are inferior. And I follow this guy, and I'm superior, and so is he. I'm superior because he or she is. Right? That's what's sinful, and that's what's divisive. In the body of Christ that Paul was addressing. So here's the perspective that Paul was trying to help the Corinthians see. That that Paul, Apollos, or, or Peter, Cephas, we're just servants. We're just simply servants. Servants of God. He says, what is what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of us. To, to each Okay, so servants through whom you believed. All right, I, I, I like the analogy of of the donkey that Jesus was riding on on Palm uh, was Palm Sunday. We, we 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 reflect on that and Jesus riding in on the donkey with palm branches. Imagine if the donkey were to start thinking of himself, man, they really like me. I'm really amazing, right? And he's just the 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 donkey, the instrument that's. That's carrying Jesus into the city, right? And so Paul has this mindset, we're just, we're just servants. We're table servants. We're not here for us. We're here for God and we're here for you. Can I fill your, can I fill your water up? Uh, did you get what you ordered? Right? 
And, and so, and I just wanna, I just wanna cast vision and, and, and communicate that, that this is what you can expect from any leader who serves here at City Church. We are servants. We're here, we're here to serve. We're here to wash feet. We're here to listen. We're here to help. We're here to, to walk with you. Okay, we're servants. That's the mindset of Jesus. That's the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think like this. Think like Jesus. A servant mindset. And so that will help unify. This is a perspective that will help unify. Just think, if we all came to church with that mentality, how can I serve today? Think if in in your marriage... You approach your spouse. How can, how can I serve my spouse today? Pray for my spouse. Uh, help my spouse today. Or with your children. How can I serve my children today? And so this is the mindset that God calls us to. Tim Challies says this. He says, the task of the preacher is not someone, <clears throat> the task of the preacher is not someone who is to be looked at, but someone to be looked through. The task of the preacher is not to stand before the church and be recognized as a great man or even a great preacher. The task of the preacher is to draw the minds and the hearts of the listeners to God. He has failed in his calling if he has looked out, if he has looked at instead of looked through. And so servants, they, the ministers are servants through whom you believe, he tells the Corinthians. And Paul highlights, God is the one who assigns the work to each. God sovereignly works in sending people and, and working through messengers to, to bring the message, right? You guys all love Amazon. Get your Amazon packages the next day or even the same day if you order at the right time. All right, but the, those who deliver those packages, like we're, we're, it's not them that we're super fond of. It's like, oh, um, amazing Amazon delivery, man! It's it's the service, the content. What's 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 occurring right there when we simply order something? Paul also highlights that God is the source. Of, of growth. He said, I planted God water, or I planted Apollos waters. God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. You see, we believe, because the script, we believe that the Bible teaches God saves people. And people become followers of Jesus because God does a supernatural work in their hearts and in their lives, and He opens blind eyes. And he makes dead hearts come alive. And this is his work. And we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to share the message. To point people to Jesus. To disciple. To mentor. To walk alongside those who do become Christians. But ultimately, it's God who's working in a brother or sister. Bringing about fruit. And bringing about change. And bringing about Christ's likeness in their lives. And we want to be those who just... Observe and see where God is working and join in with him and what he's doing in people's lives. Amen. And so God is the source. This perspective will help keep us humble when we do see any good fruit. This perspective will help help unite us 
When we see God as the source and we as ministers of God, and by the way, we're all ministers, not just pastors and missionaries and church staff. We are all ministers. Look to somebody next to you and say, you're a minister. If you're a Christian, you are a minister. Minister means servant. You're a servant, right? And God's given you the ability and the responsibility to pray for people. That's what ministers do. To share truth with people, to share truths with people, that's what ministers do. Spiritual truths with people, to love people and walk alongside of people, that's what ministers do. And we're all called to be ministers, to be priests, a kingdom of priests. The reformers called it the priesthood of all believers. And so we believe that here. What would it look like if you walked into your workplace tomorrow? And next week with the mindset of I am a minister of Jesus Christ. And whatever your company is, and Amazon pays me to, to do it. All right. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. And wherever you're at and whatever context God has you in, to see yourself as a minister and see opportunities and people that you meet as, as, as having opportunities to share with them and minister to them and serve them. And so the perspective of Christ is needed for change. Warren Wearsby highlights in this passage in chapter 3, he says, uh, he highlights the three different analogies that Paul gives us. One, that, that got, the church is God's family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Infants in Christ, particularly with this church. Okay? The church is God's family. And this is one of my favorite metaphors. This is our, the, the most common metaphor that we use as we talk about the church is family. Okay, we're not a business, we're a family. Okay? And so we can be ourselves. We, we can be ourselves around one another. We don't have to put on a mask or, 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 or try to present ourselves as something we're not. We can just be ourselves. Like, like ideally we can be with our family. Just be ourselves, right? Now of course there's unhealthy families and, 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 uh, God wants us to be a healthy family, not a toxic, fighting, quarreling kind of family or disconnected family. But the goal for in, in family is maturity, Warren Wiersbe says, right? We want to see, all, all of you who have kids, you want to see those little precious images of God raised up into mature, godly followers of Jesus, right? You want, you want them to learn responsibility. You want them to learn to love. You want them to learn to serve. You want them to find their purpose in their life and, and look like Christ. The goal is maturity in God's family. The church is also God's field. I love how Paul says it's God's. We, we are God's. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. There's some freedom in that. And, and just surrendering to that reality. You're God's. You're God's. He's, he's upholding your life. He's defending. He's guiding. He's providing. He's going to take care of you. As the New City Catechism says, we've, we've taught our children this. First question is, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. Both body, soul, spirit. Both body and spirit. And so we are God's. We're God's field. We're God's building. We're God's family. So look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 9. He says, For you are God, for, for we are God's fellow workers, those servants, fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. 
All right, and Paul uses the analogy of Apollos and Paul. You know, some people liked Apollos more. He was a gifted speaker, and they were like, man, Paul, he's kind of boring. You know, he has good theology, he's strong, but, you know, Apollos is a very dynamic speaker. We like him, he captivated, you know, whatever whatever the, the argument was. But they were identifying with different leaders and boasting in them and taking pride in them. And Paul's just trying to dismantle that pride, dismantle that disunity by giving them these analogies and giving them this perspective that that ministers are servants who sow seeds, who water those seeds. But God's the the most important, decisive um, um, uh, person in in the process of the growth. God is the one who makes us grow who leads us into growth, who leads us into salvation and becoming Christians. We are God's field, God's building. All right. Now, of course, we often say, you know, the church is not a a building. It's not a physical building. This is an analogy, right? We're, we're a spiritual building or a spiritual house. And Jesus is the foundation of the house. And for the house, the goal is quality. Right? We don't want a broke down building. We want good quality, right? Um, those of you who, um, are homeowners, I'm sure you know a little bit about just kind of trying to fix things around the house. And that's one of the things I, I really enjoy to do from time to time. It's so satisfying to problem solve, to have an issue that needs to be addressed. Within, that's reason that I can reasonably address. There, I have to have wisdom and discernment to know what I do not try. Don't even get close to trying to take on myself, lest I blow the house up, burn the house down, or spend way too long trying to fix something I should have never even tried to mess with in the first place. Some of us have battle wounds and scars from learning those lessons the hard way. Some of us have lost a lot of money by learning things the hard way. And thankfully, God has provided others who are skilled in these other areas that can help take care of these other issues. And so it is in the church. We're, we're, Paul describes this as a diverse body. We're all, we all have a part. We're members in the body of Christ. And we need one another and we have a part to play, a part to contribute to the overall health and the overall growth. But Paul tells the Corinthians, he said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I want to be a skilled master builder. I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. And he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take care, build carefully. Why? Why should... Those who minister to others, be careful in how they minister or be careful in how they build. Well, first of all, let me highlight Paul's seeing himself through the grace, the lens of grace. He, he says I, later on in chapter 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. He recognized that his role and who he had become as a believer and as a servant, as an apostle, was all due to the grace of God, not because of some awesome thing within him. It was the grace of God. He says, according to the grace of God given to me. God bless you. And he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Okay. Why is that? He goes on and goes on describing what I would call quality control and, and how you build and what you're, you're building with. You want a good quality building that will withstand the storm, that will withstand the fire. Using his analogy, 
Because there, it's, it's possible to build with wood, hay, or straw. Which, when we stand before God, will go through the fire. And if we built with wood, hay, and straw, it will become nothing. We will suffer loss. Um, or we could build with silver, precious stones. With gold, silver, or precious stones. So what does that look like? What does it look like to build with either wood, hay, and straw, or with gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, I think first of all, in the context of 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, it's, it's to, to build with wood, hay, and straw is to operate according to worldly wisdom instead of according to divine wisdom. It's to follow the flesh. There's a lot of things we can do in the flesh. You know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And I think that means nothing of eternal value, right? And ultimately, he gives us, he gives us life and the ability to live and move and make decisions, everything we do. But we can do nothing that has eternal value apart from this abiding relationship in Jesus and following his spirit and living according to his word and depending upon his power and his wisdom. And so we want to build a good work in ministering to others because God promises reward. He highlights this. He says, if anyone's work has built on the foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. God is a rewarder. Now some people, some Christians feel uncomfortable about this idea of God, of, of working for reward from God. Hebrews eleven six tells us that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked a good deal about Reward when you fast, when you pray, when you give. Don't do it to be seen by men because you've got a reward from them. Do it to be seen by God. Do it for, for his honor, for his glory, right? Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. God will reward faithfulness when we see him face to face. On that day, in our lives, we, we give an account for everything we've done and the motives behind what we've done. It'll go through the fire. It'll be tested. And, and as I've said before, that the, 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 the gold, the silver, the precious stone, that is the things that were motivated by love. First Corinthians 13. The ministry, the service that was motivated by love. That was energized by grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10. That, those, that's the service that was done uh, in dependence upon the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, 1 and 2, 1 through 5. The things that, that God, the ministry that God leads us into versus the things that we build with selfish motives. The things that we build out of our flesh. So you see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this is a healthy motivation, too. It's a, it's, it's, it's a good motivation to have reward set before you. Jesus seems to think it's great. And he uses it. 
It's also a good motivation to have uh, the, the standing before Jesus face to face on judgment day as a reward. Now, Paul says that those who those who built with wood, hay and stubble, uh, he says that they're still going to be saved. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want that. I want I want what what I've done to last and and to hear Jesus say well done good and faithful servant. He says he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but as only through fire but only as through fire. And so be careful how you build. Gordon Fee says it's unfortunately it is unfortunately possible for people to attempt to build a church out of every imaginable human system predicted on merely worldly wisdom, be it philosophy, pop psychology, managerial techniques, relational good feelings, or what you have. But at the final judgment, all such building, and perhaps countless other forms, where systems has become more important than the gospel itself, will be shown for what it is. Something merely human with no character of Christ or his gospel in it. May God lead us to be a gospel-centered people. A people who are motivated by love, energized by grace. And so lastly, Paul highlights that the church is God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you. Isn't that an amazing reality, saints? The third person of the Trinity dwells inside of you. He's with you. To guide you. To teach you. To put the spotlight on Jesus. To empower you to be a witness for Jesus. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God takes serious how we treat his people. And we are his people. We are his temple. Gordon Fee says this is one of the few texts in the New Testament where we are exposed both to an understanding of the nature of the local church. God's temple and dwelt by his spirit. And we and where the warning of verse 17 makes it clear how important the local church is to God. And so let's close with a couple points here of application. Assess your spiritual life and discern where you're at and where God wants to take you. Focusing, focusing on his, on his next step for you. Where are you at? Do an assessment. Where are you at with the Lord? For the Corinthians, the next step was to recognize their spiritual immaturity, to renew their perspective, to repent of divisiveness, arrogance, reliance on worldly wisdom. They needed to lay down their preferences for the sake of unity and quit boasting in men. They needed to let the gospel shape their outlook and their attitude and their actions. They needed to follow the Spirit's leading in their relationships and let love permeate every area of their lives and so what's your next step we're going to have a moment to pray and 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 ask god what what's my next step where am i at what's what's your most pressing issue with me right now god 
And next, see yourself through and see yourself and others through the lens of grace. See yourself and others through the lens of grace. And lastly, aim to please God and be faithful to him with uh, in view of all that he has done for you and your upcoming day of giving account to him. Amen. And so I have a prayer up here that I would like to lead us into before Kevin leads us into a song in closing. If you all would stand with me. This is a prayer taken from Romans 15, John 17, and John 13, 35. And so if, if we could pray this together, join me here. God of endurance and encouragement, grant us to live in harmony with one another as Christ prayed for us. May we together with one voice glorify you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ. May our love for one another and unity be a witness to the lost and dying world that you truly sent your Son into the world to save us from our sins. So, Lord, make us one. For the glory of your name. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation. Amen. Lord, be all to us. May the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, God. Would you purify our hearts and our lives and just consume us with the holy passion for you to know you and to make you known to just be consumed with love for you and love for people and may we be salt and light that makes a difference in the world around us in Christ's name we pray Church, you are God's temple. You are God's people. God is for you, not against you. God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is committed to finishing the work that he started in you. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. There is a resurrection and there are rewards. And may you see that with great joy. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and may he lift up the light of his countenance on you and may he give you his peace. Enjoy your Sunday. Let your light shine.